0: What a hope we have in Christ, our anchor, and uh, we are here to look to him today, and so thank you for remaining standing as we do things a little differently this morning. We're gonna, this is going to be a lot quicker of a service than you're used to here at Providence, because we have a members meeting right after the service today, so we're going we're gonna, to uh, worship the, our Lord together. We're going to take a quick break for a few minutes, and we'll come back, and the, the goal is to get out of here At the very latest by noon today. So, uh, we've got a lot to to talk about in our members' meeting and just some great things ahead for us. So, today our passage in front of us is Matthew chapter 28. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 28. We just finished the series on Matthew that we spent quite a few years in studying together. And we're going to revisit verses 16 through 20 of the Great Commission today as we look at our core value of our mission, of what mission is and what we're called to do. So if you would uh, hear the word of the living God. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you join me in prayer once again? Father, we come to you this Lord's Day morning, and we come with hearts that are expectant We come, Lord, trusting you and your word, and we come asking you through the power of your spirit to transform our hearts today, to change us once again today, to allow us, by your grace, to together take steps closer and closer to being more like Jesus. And so, Father, use use me today in uh, ways that uh, are well far beyond me. Because in my weakness, you are strong. So I ask, oh God, that you would encourage your people today and strengthen us for the, for the mission that you call this to for our church, for your glory. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please have a seat and take out your outline. We've been going through a study all January on our core values. So we, we started the year off looking at worship, the core value of worship and how God created us to be worshipers but because of the fall we end up worshiping everything else but him thus comes our next core value of the gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ the good news of the life death and resurrection and ascension and glorification of Jesus Christ he rules and he reigns and he transforms us it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe so worship and gospel, and then family, how, how the gospel then brings us into the family of God. We're adopted into the family of God, which means we have a father in heaven, and now we have brothers and sisters. And today we come to our fourth core value that we really want to focus on, and it's our mission, that we actually have a calling, that we are sent by God into the world for a purpose. And we're look at what that purpose is. We're going to understand that God has saved us. And He's saved us certainly from, from His eternal wrath that we deserve, that I deserve the eternal wrath of God. And He saved me from that. But then He's also saved us for something, for a purpose. What is the purpose? The purpose is mission. That's what He's called us to. So we're going to answer the question, this, three questions this morning. What is our mission? Secondly, why do we pursue our mission? And thirdly, how do we pursue our mission? And certainly, we could go much even deeper than we're going to go through today, but, but we're going to hit, Lord willing, with the basics of the things that are on my heart. And so, point number one, what is our mission? And as we answer that question, first we have to, in considering our text, think about who is the mission? Who takes part of this mission? Who is this mission for in the first place? Well, first and foremost, we understand that that the Gospel of Matthew presented us the whole life of Jesus Christ. His coming to earth. His, 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 his incarnation, the God-man. God become man. And then His life, His perfect life that was lived, His facing temptation and trial in the wilderness, His overcoming his accomplishing what, what all before him could never accomplish, what Israel could not accomplish, as, even as a son of God, the true son of God came, lived the perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and rose again victoriously, conquering the power of sin, death, Satan, and hell for all who believe. Good news, right? Now what? The gospel closes with a mission. And what we see as we look at all of the Gospels, not only Matthew, all of the Gospels, is Jesus came on a mission. Jesus came as a missionary, if you will. He came to reveal God. He came on on a purpose to seek and save the lost. He was on a reconciliation mission. No one else could accomplish it but Him. He accomplishes His work perfectly. And then He tells His disciples, He prepares them to tell them, Look, I'm going to leave. I physically will no longer be here, but I'm going to empower you. I will send the Holy Spirit, my Spirit who will empower you and you will be my witnesses. So when understanding the who, there's a couple amazing things we need to realize first that this is Jesus' mission. And the mission of the local church is just a continuation of the mission of Jesus Himself. It's how he's doing his work. It's how he's accomplishing his mission. It's his mission. And we ought to approach it with a confidence because the passage says he first tells his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, everywhere. It's all his. It all belongs to him. It is God and him alone that has all the authority. So this is... is, This is the basis of the mission. This is why He says, therefore, in the text. Before the Great Commission, before He sends us out, His disciples, and then us out on mission, He declares to them His incredible authority. And then, notice in the passage, or something that stands out. We brought this up when we looked at Matthew in verse 17. It says that Jesus came to them, he came, or verse 16, he came to the 11 disciples, and they went to Galilee, to the mountain which they directed them. And I think, as we mentioned a few weeks back, Matthew is, does not waste his words. The 11 is meant to remind us of something. Somebody's gone. There's, there's no longer 12. And then in verse 17, those who had gathered, certainly prob- more than just the 11, they're gathered there. And it verse, says in verse 17 that when they saw him, when they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And so here, here you have the who of the mission. Doubting worshippers. Weak men and women. Real people who believe. And yet who at the same time are, are weak struggling and have difficulties and sometimes that word doubt we look at are hesitating it means to hesitate to, to, to want it but I'm, I'm struggling in a certain area and so it, to me it's encouraging to think that the mission of Jesus is continued through through weakness of people and certainly one of the reasons is so, it's, so he gets the glory Anything that is accomplished on the mission, the praise goes to to Christ and Christ alone. We don't get to pat ourselves on the back. We get to be thankful. We get to rejoice. We get to glorify Him. But it's Jesus' mission. And so the main idea here is is Jesus' mission through His church. And And the church is to be faithful then to the mission of Jesus. We're to do it in a confidence, even in the midst of weakness, because we have the, the gospel sandwich right here in our text. We, we have the top layer of all authority has been given to me, and then, and then we're in the middle. The meat, the, the meat of the matter here is, is right here, and that's you and I. And then, but underneath and holding us up is the bottom, bottom layer of his presence. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you on the mission. I'm sending you out. To go. So the who of the mission is Jesus through his people, through his church. And that gives us to the point, what is our mission then? What is he sending the disciples? And thus, what is he sending all his disciples on? He's sending his disciples to go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. What is a disciple? There's we already talked quite a bit about that a few weeks back, but just as a refresher and a reminder, a disciple is a is a follower. That's one simple word. A disciple is a follower. In, the, in these ancient world, disciples would pick a rabbi, they would come to a certain teacher, and they would follow that teacher intricately. They'd follow his way of life, they'd follow his teachings, they would walk out the way he walked out life. And according to... Uh, to the way that we've been created, we're actually all disciples of someone or something. Something, everyone in the world is following someone or something. And so the question is, what, what the Scripture is pointing to here is, disciples are of Jesus, not just anything or anyone. We're followers of Jesus. And the biblical definition in, 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 in insinuates that it's a, it's, it's a believing Disciple. Believing in Christ. A, a follower. It's a learning disciple. It's someone who's constantly learning. So, so a simple definition is a, it's a learning, believing follower of Jesus Christ. Our mission is to make disciples. He continues on. Of whom? Of all nations. That's every people group. That's everyone everywhere, all over the place. And I Certainly believe in world missions, and it means we're to go to, to, to the world and to the ends of the earth, and yet yet it also means that we're supposed to go to our neighbors across the street, and to the grocery store clerk, and to 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 people that we run into, and to family members and friends, and, and something that I just love about our own city, we're supposed to bring the gospel to the city. It certainly is a call to that. And one of the beautiful things about San Diego is the nations are here. Have you noticed? <laughs> You go anywhere all over our city, there's different languages, different cultures. It's a beautiful thing. To me, that's a gift for us. God has brought the nations to our city as a part of our outreach. We need to get excited about that. We are called, our mission is to make disciples of all nations. We've said over and over that that's our mission statement. We exist to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. Let me rephrase it for you this morning in, in another way that, that, that we exist. We exist for the mission of glorifying God by growing followers. That's another way of saying making disciples. Sometimes the language maybe hangs us up. You know, how do you make a disciple? We think of making and fashioning and forming and, and that certainly is involved, but ultimately it's really more, I think, about growing a disciple because it's, it's God that does the, the work behind it all and underneath it all. We don't make disciples of ourselves. We make disciples of Jesus. And so, what does that look like? It looks like growing followers of Jesus deep and wide. We grow deep in our knowledge and love of Christ. We go wide in our our multiplication of, of sharing the efforts of making disciples all over the city and the world. This is our mission. It's simple. But, oh, there's so much underneath it, isn't there? There's so much that, 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 that goes into this work of making disciples. And I think in order for us to be in a place where we're actually participating and active in the work of making disciples, we need a why. We need to understand the why. So why do we pursue our mission? Point number two. Why do we spend time and energy and effort and money and resources and time into pursuing this mission? And my quickest answer and most absolute answer is it's for the glory of God alone is there any greater why than the glory of God is there anyone more glorious is there anyone wor- more worthy than than obedience to such a command Is there anyone more worthy to point to in the midst of weakness and and struggling, this doubting worshiper coming and saying, okay, Lord, I'm going to take a step forward in faith because I trust You and that trust glorifies You. It doesn't doesn't talk of my greatness. It talks of Your greatness, Lord, and what You do through people like us. (coughs) So in light of the all-authority of Jesus Christ, we we do this work of making disciples. Why? Why? for the glory of God alone. And then I have to pause and ask the question, okay, what glorifies God in His church? And certainly we could spend a lot of time talking about that, but I'm going to sum it up in these words. What glorifies God? Healthy growth. Healthy growth. And I'll add deep and wide. Deep and wide. It's got to be both. We, we grow deeper in love, we grow deeper in relationship, and we have to grow wide in multiplication and, and in replication and reproduction, if you will. Otherwise, we're not seeing healthy growth. It's important to understand our why, because mission is not just something I do, but it's part of who I am. It, it, when we look at our core values of worship, gospel, family, and mission, these aren't just things we do, these are things that we are. We are worshipers. We are gospelizers. We are family and we are missionaries. This is our identity in Christ. To get it all in Christ. And God is all about the growth of His church. Again, we're saved from wrath. We're saved for works. For mission. We're saved for growth. God wants us to grow, church. Healthy growth. There is an unhealthy growth. There is such a thing, and, um, you know, you think of cancer, right? That's an unhealthy growth, right? Uh, It's possible to grow unhealthy. Scripture speaks of it in certain ways. Usually it has to do with being tired, with weariness. Galatians 6, 9, it says, Let us not grow weary of doing good. And so there's this understanding that we can actually grow in weariness. 2 Thessalonians 3 tells us, again, as for you brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. <coughs> Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That's, that's the constant temptation for us as doubting worshipers. It's to get tired and to grow weary. It happens to us all the time. And Scripture's calling us to be careful of that kind of growth. Because it's easy to let that grow in our hearts, isn't it? There's an unhealthy growth. But then there's a healthy growth. And it's all over the Scriptures. Just a few of them from the New Testament. in Ephesians 2.21, in whom, speaking of the church, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Colossians 2.19, and not holding fast to, to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments. You see the picture? Grows. The physical body growing with the growth that is from God. Some of you are saying, I really don't want my physical body growing any more than it already has, right? This is, the, the picture here is, is growing up from childhood to adulthood. This is the picture of the church and, and what God wants is the church to grow up. This is why we're to desire the word, First Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. First, I skip 2 Thessalonians 1, 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. This language is all over Scripture. Growing, increasing, growing, increasing. 2 Peter three eighteen: Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Growing up. This is the biblical picture. The word is oxano. And it's used several times. It's a passive word. And so even though we think of 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 growing and and you know working out, you grow your muscles, but but that, that that activity helps water the growth. But that growth happens. It just right? It it happens, yes, because of a result of something, but there's something going on inside of you that God made. Something that He triggered. To make it work that way. When the same things happen in the church. Oxano, it's like a plant. It's, it's the word that means to, to increase, to become greater, to, to grow in the knowledge of God or to attain salvation. To, it's, it's spoken of, of plants and trees and, and nature. Growth. It's the word used of the advancement of the Gospel. Growth. It's like a tree. We plant seeds and we water and we nurture them and we just simply watch them grow. The growth isn't overnight, is it? It doesn't just happen automatically. It requires patience, it requires care, a nurturing environment. And in the same way, this, this mission of making disciples is something that requires that type of care. That's an ongoing process where we invest in the lives of disciples people we help them towards spiritual maturity in Christ this is what the book of Ephesians calls us to in growing up look at Ephesians chapter 4 with me let me read a large section of verses 1 through 16 and I want you to look at the focus on growing growing up he says I therefore the prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. And he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. All of that speaking of what? This is the mission of Christ. That the one who was up here came all the way down here. And, and did what he did, and then he now is back up there, ruling and reigning, and he sent gifts. He, 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 the, the picture that Paul just gave is of a conquering king who, who, who takes all the tribute from, from what he conquered, and he gives it to his people. And so he gives it away to his people. Paul is explaining all of this for the purpose, why that he might fill all things. And then he says in verse 11... And He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? What is the purpose? What's, what's my role in the church? I'm no greater than you. I'm, 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 I, have a, I have a different role than you to play as a pastor, as a shepherd, just as Pastor David does. We, our goal, what, is, what are we supposed to do in the church? Paul tells us very clearly here. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. And a lot of times churches, we get that like opposite. You know, a lot of the way churches approach is, oh, we're going we're gonna to hire that guy that's going to do all the ministry for us. Where Paul is saying, no, th- th- this labor is supposed to work, and he's supposed to work hard, but his, his work is to be focused on equipping the body, the saints, for the work of the ministry, not to do the work of the ministry for the saints. Robbing you of a blessing. The purpose for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. To mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. How many ways can he say grow up? Do you hear it? He's saying growing up. Let's grow up. Let's grow healthy. Verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. There's that word again. In every way, into Him who is the head, Christ. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love such a beautiful explanation an illustration understanding for Paul to let us know what glorifies God in his church growth healthy growth another word that the New Testament uses is fruit Yes, we're supposed to be a little fruity. (laughs) John 15, 1-8, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. Why? That it may bear more fruit. What's God after? Fruit. What is fruit? Growth. Verse 4, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. That's how we do it, abiding in Christ. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, verse 7, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And then verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you grow. That's my word I'm using. But what does he say? That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus says go, your mission is to make disciples. What does that mean? That means those are people who are going to bear fruit. God wants more and more and more of it out of our lives, and then he wants it out of people that don't even know him yet. That's part of the fruit. It's part of the harvest. I think of a fruitful family. Um, There's times that I watch some of you grandfathers, and uh, I'm encouraged and a bit envious my day will come, Lord willing. But I watch you, and I, I have, because I have this vision, like this dream of just sitting around my table one day with my wife and my kids and, and their kids and maybe even their kids, and just being thankful with God for God together, rejoicing and worshiping him together. And so when I, when I think of fruit, that's what I think of. Picture the church that way. There's people of God, people that you have had a part in helping see fruit grow in their life, and all together around the table of the Lord, rejoicing, being thankful. Lives change, transformed people. It's real. This is what he's made us for. And then that community being the salt and the light to the world, that's what He's made us for. Look at Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. You know He told that to Israel too? They were supposed to be a light to the nations and they failed. They became just like the nations. And he's saying you were, they were supposed to look at you and be like, wow, that's what God looks like. When God is amongst the people, that's what God, that's what it looks like. And that's what He's that's what Christ has done. He, he's done the work that Israel couldn't do, the work Moses couldn't do. He's done the work that you and I could never do, but now He's filled us to with His Spirit to go do His work on His mission. It's amazing. You're the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Why do we make disciples? Why do we go on this mission? Why do we live this mission in this life as the people of God? Because it glorifies God. And that's the goal of life. There's no greater why. But there are other whys. There's millions of people around our city right now. Millions. That don't worship Jesus Christ. That do not treasure Him. They can care less about Him. And we might look at them because they have a smile on their face or because they look like everything is all put together and somehow think, well, they're okay. Especially when we're struggling ourselves. But the truth is, none are okay. And they need Christ. They need this bread that we've been feasting on. They need this life. San Diego needs us all the other gospel-proclaiming churches throughout our city. This is life or death. This is not a game. This is serious business. This is our calling. This is our mission. This is our joy. This is our privilege. You see, and there's a part of us that needs to keep being reminded of this, but if, if we can see and be a people focused on the gospel like we talked about a few weeks ago, that it's the main thing, that our lives are, are centered on it. That is our why. We don't need a, to keep hearing a why. A, a why almost sh- about why should I make disciples that almost shouldn't even be asked. But it makes me wonder at times, well, it's like, it's like honey. I can talk of honey. Has anyone in here never had honey? Everybody's had it. Good people. I love honey. I put it in my coffee now. I put it on as much as I can. I'm glad Lily buys the tri pack from Costco, because it goes quick. And it's supposed to be good for you. Good sugar. It's the good sugar. But imagine if you've never tasted honey, and you're trying to explain to somebody why they should taste the honey. Well, it's good, they tell me. It's sweet, they tell me. But it's a whole lot different. It's a whole lot different if you've tasted it yourself. There's nothing sweeter than Jesus Christ. There's nothing more nourishing and sweet to the soul than Jesus. And so the call to make disciples should never be seen as this laborious thing, this drudgery. It's, a, it's, a, it's simply a call to share the honey, share the sweetness, taste it, taste it for yourself. Have some more. Here, let me give you another spoonful, brother. Let me, let me delight your soul a little more. Now, don't you want to go give it away? That should be the heart of the Christian. Because we've tasted the honey. We don't just know what it is. We've tasted its sweetness. This is why 1 Peter, when, when we read earlier how we we're the desire the pure milk of the Word. Why? Because verse 3 says, if you indeed have tasted that the Lord is good, you're going to want more. Psalm 34, 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, church, what a delight it is to know God and to be known by him. To know he knows everything about me. Everything. I don't want you knowing everything about me. Because you might not want to be my friend anymore. But God knows everything about me. And he loves me. He's not repelled by me. He draws closer to me. This is the sweetness of Christ. This is the sweetness of His work in drawing us to Himself and and wanting to walk with us and and telling us, I'm never going to leave you. I'm with you forever. Oh, taste and see that He's good. Oh, may He be your refuge. Blessed are the ones who take refuge in Him. This is why we pursue this mission. For the glory of the God who has brought sweetness of life to our souls. Thirdly, how? Let's just start to land the plane with how we how do we do this? And there's be more to say here in the coming weeks and months. But let me let me just say it's a process called discipleship. That's the process of making disciples, if you will, of growing disciples. One author says it's, this is what it is. It's helping others follow Jesus by doing deliberate spiritual good to them. Because we hear that word, and it can kind of cause us to back away a little bit. Like, what? Discipleship? That's too fancy. That's, that's not quite a $10 word. That's like a $7 word, right? It's, it's like a little bit intimidating, but I'm not sure what it is. But let me ask you this. Can you help someone else follow Jesus by doing something deliberately and, and of spiritual good to them? Can you pray for them? Can you send them a text of encouragement in, in the Lord, a scripture? Can you read the Bible together? Can you spend time together and just be there? Deliberate spiritual good to them. I was reminded this morning by Noe, sent me a memory from like four years ago of a day that was a hard day for me. And I had to go up to L.A. and take care of some things that we were dealing with and know he came with me that day. I was going to spend it alone, and he just said I, he took the day off work just to be with me the whole day. And I was grateful. And that was deliberate spiritual good to my soul. It was discipleship. But the church, honestly, has not always done well here. And that's why there's a lot of parachurch organizations out there doing really great work. I think of one, Manny, I'm familiar with the Navigators. Great ministry, had a big part, and Manny was sharing his testimony with me, big part in his foundation of his growth and as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. And, and they're doing great work, but listen, church, the, that work is done by parachurch organizations because, honestly, the church isn't doing a great job. One author wrote these words in in this understanding. They said, Christians join churches and no one comes alongside them. There's no culture of single folks living with families to learn how to serve Christ. No culture of sharing the gospel with international students. Little hospitality. Only occasional invitations to Sunday lunch or Thursday night dinner. No men shepherding their wives and no wives or older women generally discipling the younger women. No biblical counseling among the members themselves, counseling only occurs in offices. No thought of going to a church where the style of music may not be your favorite even though it serves others. No thought of helping a family or marriage in trouble, little reaching out to people with different skin color or accent, few if any young men meeting up with other young men to study the scriptures. With churches like this, it's not surprising that some have turned to parachurch ministries their experience has taught them that the local church is the last place to look for discipling opportunities. And yet in the New Testament, the local church is at the very center of the disciples' obedience and discipling work. It's not an option, it's basic. May the Lord make it basic for Providence Church. What's this process look like? Matthew 4.19 And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's discipleship. Following Christ, being transformed by Christ, you follow me, and then I will make you, I'm going to transform your life as you follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, committed to the same mission that Jesus himself is on to save, to seek and save the lost. It's a, it's a discipleship, is, is the head, understanding Christ, knowing Christ, diving into the scriptures, a prayer life. Your, 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 your mind is involved, it's following Christ, it's being transformed from the heart level by Christ to where your, your thoughts, your affections, your, your emotions, your, your desires, your will is being transformed by Jesus. And then you're committed to his mission to, to, to go reach out, to be his hands, if you will, and his feet. Discipleship is all of life. Sometimes there's parts of the process might involve a program, but usually that's how we think of it in church. It's a program, it's a class, it's a Bible study, and, and many people think of discipleship simply as that. Well, that's the discipleship. But when you look at the life of Jesus, you realize that discipleship was an all-of-life thing. That discipleship is, is leading people to increasingly submit all of life To the empowering presence and lordship of Jesus Christ. That's following Him. And that means we can't make disciples at a once a week event alone. It's a life on life activity that involves all members of Christ's body. It's like like being shaped by the potter, like shaping the clay, where where the clay is formed and fashioned, molded into this beautiful vessel. And the shaping and the fashioning, it's gentle, but very intentional. And it's transforming of of that pot to to reflect the beauty and the purpose of of the designer. In this, discipleship necessitates a few things. It necessitates intentionality. We see that in the command of the Great Commission. Go, baptize, teach. Make disciples. There's intentionality that must go into it. We're not going to coast into discipleship. Must be active intentionality. Intentional, spiritual good to someone where where they are, uh, where you help them, if you will, take what's the next best step for them to take to be more like Christ. Intentionality in your family, practically, in your vocation, in your church, in things like considering what do you do with your spare time, how do you spend your meals, could you spend a meal with somebody once a week or once a month for intentional spiritual good to them. Getting very practical about the intentionality of it. Having goals. Do you have any goals for 2024? And if you do, do they in any way involve discipleship? Actively and intentionally and purposefully wanting to do spiritual good to others. It necessitates intentionality and it necessitates relationship. It necessitates relationship. Go to them is the implication. Baptizing them, teaching them. Who is them? It's people, it's relationship. I'd like us to consider, and I'm over my 30 minutes today, brother, but we're going we're gonna to be all right. I'd like us to consider um, the stages that we grow in as disciples. Put that chart up, uh, uh, Dylan, please. There's, I don't even know if you can see that, but um, I have it on a, I'll have it on a link for you that you can see a little closer. But basically, we talked about this a few weeks ago in Matthew. This is, I, I, I found it very helpful to view the discipleship process like the growth of a human body, a human being, right? You're, well. You're, well, this one says dead, Because Scripture says we're dead in, you know, we we wouldn't say we're dead, we're just not born yet. However, consider what Scripture says is that apart from Christ, you're dead in your trespasses and sin, and so you're dead, and then there's there's this point in time where God saves you. You're born again, you're regenerated, you're renewed, right? And what are you at that point in the discipleship process? You're a baby. You're an infant, and that stage is marked by a lot of things. There's a lot of ignorance. Not, not unintelligence, but ignorance you don't just don 't know yet you, you don 't know your Bible yet you 're learning and, you're, and, and and life is generally about you still in a lot of ways, but you grow up and you begin studying the Bible or you you, you hopefully are part of a, an intentional discipleship process, and then you become a child, you grow up a little bit more you 're grown and you 're growing but you're, but there 's still too much self centeredness involved still too much me and I, where you'll hear things like, well, our, man, I don't want my small group to, to divide up because we're so close. You know, it's still kind of a self-centered focus. Right? It's like the parent that's like, I'm never letting you out of my house. I don't care that you're 37 years old. You're staying here forever. <laughs> no, we want to bless them, be fruitful and multiply. Then you grow into a young adult where there's a beginning uh, of changing, of heart, of, of understanding more of a God-centeredness and an other-centeredness. Become more centered of, on others, where a, the, a young adult in, disciple, if you will, might say something like this, man, I wanted to go to the movies today, but, but I heard that, uh, you know, Anthony's in the hospital, and I'm going to go visit Anthony. There's a God-centeredness to him. There's this service that begins to happen. And then you grow, as you keep growing in Christ, the next stage would be to be a parent which would be characterized by a deep intentionality, a reproducibility of your life, a, a strategic way of approaching life. Uh, it would look like this. I, I'm, not only am I going to the hospital and not going to the movies, but I'm, I'm, I'm bringing Stephen with me. We're going together. The possibilities of how we go about these things are endless, but, but where are you on this stage? I would encourage you to consider that. I'm actually we're actually going to ask you to, to take a survey on that as a part of our church family. So we can help you grow and so we can serve you better in the church. And let me also say this, that wherever you are on this stage of discipleship growth, none implies greater worth. A baby is just as much a part of your family as your young adult or your, or your, your grown adult kids. There's no more value placed upon it. We're all part of God's family. And let me offer this. You younger ones, you, you kids or teenagers, you, you know, even, even guys like William back there. Yeah, I'm talking to you, but you can be... You, you don't have to stay an infant. Sometimes, actually, even kids or teenagers, young adults can, can end up being more mature in Christ than a 40-year-old. And you can serve, and, you can, you, and you're a vital part of the church. You don't have to stand in the background or stay in the shadows until you grow up. Your growing up is in Christ. And that can happen at even the youngest of ages. And also, some of you have been walking with Christ for decades and decades, and perhaps you, you've been afraid to disciple, or, or, or it's been a, a challenge for you to step out into the, the unknown or the new horizons. Or oftentimes, this is what happens. You've been walking with Christ for so long, and... and has this happened to you? This has happened to me. You, the longer you walk with Christ, the more you realize how f- much unlike Him you really are. <laughs> Anybody experience that like me? Like, oh, I've got so far to go. And then you end up l- lead, uh, being in a place where you feel like, I've got so far to go, I really can't help another. When it's, it's the exact opposite where Christ has caused you to see your weakness and it's in your weakness that he's strong that's when you're that's when you're in a place to be used the most this process it's a process of time uh, it can be marked and we'll go over this some other time but marked by being known and loved and trained and sent out it's also a process that's warfare because if there's a mission there must be a war and some think that, oh, discipleship in the church, that's just easy stuff, and it's like tiptoeing through the flower fields because it's all Jesus-y stuff. And, but no, it's all about relationships, and because relationships are difficult, disciple-making is not easy. It's difficult. It's warfare with a real enemy. It's marked by being together, a togetherness, that, that to look like Jesus, we need the whole body involved, all members pouring into our lives, encouraging us to grow and sometimes, again, we can get overwhelmed with that. Because the church, sadly, is oftentimes just like the world, walking by the 80-20 rule. You know, you know what that is, right? 80% of the people do 20% of nothing, or of the work, and 20% do 80% of the work. And that, that's kind of this Pareto principle that's business and all this they talk about. And unfortunately, that's true across the board. It's not to be true in the church of Jesus Christ. It's everyone coming together to do your part. Don't be overwhelmed. Sometimes I've done that. I put way too much on myself to do everyone else's part, and I'm not called to do everyone else's part. I'm called to do my part, and you're called to do your part. And together, we accomplish much, and we grow. It's not about perfection. It's about the pursuit of Christ. Christ. We're to be dependent on Him. He said, behold, I'm with you always. There's this dependence that we're, 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 we stay in when it comes to following Him. We need Him. We need to be praying and trusting because this is so much bigger than us. And my challenge to you today as the church is that it's time to go on offense. And Joe, whenever you're ready, we'll have you come on up and start getting ready for the communion. It's time to go on offense. To grow grow deep with one another, to grow wide in reaching out, to launch out. My prayer, and I believe some of you this year are going to grow so much because you're going to take your boldest steps of faith that you've ever taken this year. You're going to actually open your mouth and and share Christ with somebody and it's going to be scary and it's going to be beautiful. And you're going to conquer fear and you're going to grow. We're going to do it together. Jesus promised. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Do you understand this? Gates don't go on offense, do they? Gates are for defense. The enemy's on the defense. The church is on the offense. Gates don't attack. And so all authority has been given to him. We move forward on his mission. It's an unstoppable mission. Join the mission. If you've been on the sidelines, be a part. There's nothing greater we could be a part of. There's nothing more more vital, more more life and death for our city that we could be a part of than the local church and its mission. And I don't know what's ahead for us. I don't know what we're going to achieve. But I'm okay because our identity doesn't come from what we achieve. It, It comes from Christ. It comes from faithfulness to Him. He's already achieved for us, so let's be faithful to Him. Take our membership seriously, not as a club, but as as not joining an organization just to sit and hang out with a few people. You're joining a mission. Members of the church are members of the mission where everyone plays a part and it's going to be really great and it's going to be really fun and really hard and beautiful and amazing. And I'm calling on us, church, to join together in the most significant work in the world of following Jesus together the resurrected Lord, on his mission. And as a pastor, my my vision, my dream for our church is is that we're a church where we've all tasted the honey. We know how sweet it is. And it's the sweetest thing you'll ever taste. And, And so we can't help it but be worshipers who are centered on the gospel, proclaiming it all over the city, and doing it together as dearly beloved family, serving the Lord on His mission together, a church of worshipers and gospelizers, true family, on Jesus' mission to make followers deep and wide. A church where we're all out there saying, "Come on, join me people. Join me, family. Join me friends. Come meet my Jesus. Come meet my family." I want to introduce you to my brothers and sisters and be transformed like I've been transformed, like we have been transformed. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And there is nothing like her. What a privilege to be a part. Father, we come to you now, understanding this mission, this unstoppable mission that you've called us to. And I ask, oh God, that you would just encourage and be with every heart every member, every one of us that, wherever we are on the discipleship process, Lord, we want to take one step further towards looking more like you. And so we take another step now in taking of the communion. I ask that you'd be with us in a unique and special way as we take this communion cup together. Lord, I pray that there'd be deep repentance and deep faith, a deep thankfulness and a gratefulness for what Christ has done. We ask this in his precious name. Amen.